Awesome. What's up, guys? How you doing? We're going to get to this in a little bit, but I'm going to set it up here. Hey, welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here and being part of Roots. We're going to go into some more worship later, but uh, we're changing the service up a little bit. But um, Izzy, you can unclick the haze if you haven't already. And um, yeah, so hey, uh, I just wanted to say uh, that I'm happy that you guys are here. If you don't know me, my name is Tyler, and uh, I kind of oversee all this stuff. If you're new or um, still checking us out, maybe it's first, second, third time, I'm just happy that you guys are here because uh, our whole heart and desire is to teach you guys who Jesus is and how I believe that he can transform lives. And I believe that he can do that for you. Um, no matter where you're at. And so we are right now specifically in a series talking about family, about family matters. And like we talked about this last week, like how many of you guys have seen the show ever of Family Matters? Any of you guys? You guys are all so young. I used to wake up, or not wake up because it was a, a night show. I used to go, TGIF, anybody hear about that? Thank goodness it's Friday. It was TGIF, and Family Matters was on TGIF, and I was always so excited to watch it and watch Steve Urkel or Stefan Urkel when he got to be a real man. Um, But, yeah. So, hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of an update of what's happening. Um, In two, two weeks, on November 23rd, I believe it is. We are actually going to be moving our night service to our morning service, and we're going to come back to 1045 service at Crossroads. And the reason why, I know some of you guys might be frustrated. No, I like the night services, but here's the reason. Most of the faces here in this room are the exact same faces we see at 6 o'clock on Sundays. You guys are regulars. Most of you guys are involved on on uh, Wednesday nights or on Tuesday nights for high school. And I love that. But the thing is, is there's a whole group of people that come on Sundays that we are missing. And so we don't do this just so for your comfortability or just because you guys uh, want to just come and see your friends on a, on a Sunday night. If you guys want to do that, you guys can plan your own Sunday night thing. That's totally cool with me. I used to do that when I was in high school. We did a Saturday night Bible study with my friends, and it was a blast. It was, like, super fun. But we are missing a section of people within our own church, of maybe, especially some younger students, some sixth graders especially, who I know come on Sunday mornings, but they aren't coming to Roots. And so I don't want to miss those people just for all of us to feel comfortable. Like, hey, I like night services. They're fun. I want to make sure that we're still reaching people for the gospel and telling people about who Jesus is, especially when they're not here. So that's the heart behind why we're moving back to Sunday mornings. Because there's a lot of new people that come to service and they bring their kids. And so we can be that light to their kids during that time. Um, If any of you guys are like, man, I I really, I, I work on Sunday mornings. Uh, I encourage you guys especially to um, make your shift now. I'm giving you plenty of time notice that if you need to make your shift uh, with your work schedule and say, hey, I'm unavailable on Sunday mornings, but now you can work Sunday nights, 
um, then you can do that because we'll be done. Uh, if we do 1045 service, we'll be done um, by 12. So no later than 12. Um, so if you guys need to make those shifts, make those shifts. Um, and I encourage you continue to invite your friends. Tell people about what's going on here. Um, the main service is actually starting live morning service inside next week. We're taking, we're, we're making it a little bit slower. We're going to finish this series, and then also the kids are going to be starting up the same week that we do as well. Cool? Awesome. So I just wanted you guys to know what is happening. Um, but yeah, so again, we are in our Family Matters series. We're going to be in this for two more weeks after this. Uh, high schoolers, you guys are going to have an amazing guest speaker this, uh, this Tuesday. It's going to be a blast. Uh, you guys are going to enjoy that because I'm going to be gone. Um, so you, we have a, someone coming in to teach or to really facilitate everything. So um, you guys will have a great time there. And so and the next couple weeks are going to be awesome as well. Uh, middle schoolers, you also have a guest speaker too. I forgot about that one. So uh, that one's a great one as well. Um, but yeah, so we, we right now are in week two. We have two more weeks later, uh, more on this Family Matters series. It's going to be a really good one. Or it's going to continue to be a really good one. I know that, especially in your life groups, it's already kind of started like something. Like you guys have had some pretty good discussion in life groups, most of you guys. And the leaders have told me that they're very excited about this series because of the discussions that can come out of it. And so I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I remember the first time that I went over to one of my best friend's house. And I got dropped off, and we were just going to hang out with all of our friends, and we were all just coming over. And as I was hanging out there, because I was one of the first ones there, because I was always, like, I'm, how many of you guys are, like, a naturally early person? You show up early to everything? I know Keanu, like, beats me here on Sunday nights. Uh, I'm a naturally early person. So I got to my friend's house early, and as I was hanging out there, I noticed how much my friend actually got along with his siblings and didn't argue they, they would do things together, like they would play GameCube together, which you guys are like, what's GameCube? It's a total, yeah, GameCube, like, okay, it's a, it's a gaming system, Nintendo, back in the day. And they would just do life together, and he, is, he and his younger brother would play GameCube with each other, and his parents were cool. They didn't, they didn't have a curfew for him, he could really do whatever he wanted, and he could joke and make some really kind of off-color comments, and his parents wouldn't, like, scold him. Like, I would just say, oh, shoot, my mom would be, don't say that word, and because I was kind of, like, growing up in a legalistic area, or, or in an illegalistic in a life, and so his parents would just laugh along with his jokes and they would just roll their eyes and they wouldn't actually like make or they wouldn't get mad at him for making some like dumb poop joke or something like that. And it almost seemed like he was friends with his parents. Any of you guys have friends like that? Like you're like, man, I just feel like you are just like best friends with your parents and I want that type of relationship. And so when I was over there, it kind of made my parents seem a little boring. How many of us can compare our family to someone else's family and we sit there and go, man, my family's boring. We can feel that way. And as kids, we tend to see our parents, a lot of times when we're younger, we see them as superheroes and our families as, as being completely great or at least being normal families. And I remember the argument I had when I was, 
when I was a really young kid, probably around first grade, and I was having this, this argument with a group of boys. And so boy number one, he just said, my dad's so strong, he can lift up a car. Any of you guys have those type of arguments with someone in the playground when you're really young? Like, my daddy's so strong. Well, boy number two, I don't even remember which kids I was talking to, but he, he said, my dad's so strong that he can lift up a car with one arm. And I was like, dang, that's crazy. But then I, I spoke up and I was like, my dad's so strong. He can lift up a car with his one finger. And then something happens and changes, though, over time when we think that, like, my dad's so strong. We grow older and something changes. And it's a moment when we realize that our family isn't perfect. Or maybe we realize that our family is very broken. Some of you might have a time in your life, maybe especially in middle school, maybe, maybe into high school, you realize how broken your family is and not perfect. Some of you may have realized this a long time ago. Some of you maybe more recently In fact, some of your earliest memories might have to do with pain because of your family. Others of you discovered this later. Maybe it was in middle school or high school, in the early years of high school. But when you realize that your family had some dysfunction, it's just not fun. My family's imperfection came even more obvious to me when I was in middle school. I thought my parents had a pretty good marriage. They loved each other. My dad was a pastor. My mom was like the perfect pastor's wife. But it turns out that my dad had an affair and he lost his job because of it. And my parents, when I was in sixth grade, were in counseling and there was tension. And I wasn't sure if my parents were going to stay together. And my picture of a whole functional family was fractured. And every one of us could probably go around and tell our version of a dysfunctional family story of something in our life that we think is dysfunctional or we know is dysfunctional. And we all have one. Because in one way or another, if you guys are following along with with notes, you guys can can fill those out as well. And I think there's going to be one here. But in one way or another, every family is fractured. They're fractured. You know what a fracture is, right? It's like a break. It's not a, it's not a full, clean break like, oh, we're completely divided. Some of you guys might have families like that. But in some sort of way, it's, just, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. A fracture is just kind of off a little bit. And in one way or another, our family is fractured. And we can all probably be sitting here thinking about how our family is fractured. Maybe it's our relationship with our mom. Maybe it's the way that our parents are always fighting. Maybe it's our relationship with our siblings. Maybe it's a comparison that you have with a family member. But our family is fractured. Maybe your family lives with constant tension. You don't slam doors and yell, but you constantly feel anxiety when you're around your family. You feel it when your parents talk about money or their jobs. You feel it around your brother or your stepsister. Or you feel it when certain subjects come up that shouldn't cause conflict, but somehow they do because someone brings something up and the other person lashes out. And it makes your house feel like a pretty stressful place to live. And you always feel like you're walking 
on eggshells. For some of you, maybe you've discovered that your family lives with secrets. There's some sort of secret that you don't really know about. Maybe you Maybe there's a secret that's happening that you don't even know what the secret is. You just know that there's something there. You never really saw it when you were younger, but now you know. Maybe you've discovered something that you wish that you never did uh, about a relationship or a legal problem or a bad situation in the family or a bad decision. And now because of the secrets, you wonder if you can fully trust your family because how could they have done that? And for a lot of you, your family has experienced a fracture of some sort. Maybe it was a divorce between your parents or a divorce after a remarriage. Uh, Maybe you thought that that once you got through all the drama, things would be fine, but they're not, and you still really haven't healed, and there's no new normal with your family. Now you wonder if your family relationships are really worth the effort when they can possibly just go away because there's been a divorce or there's been people who've left. And regardless of your family story, it's important to remember that every family is fractured. If you're sitting there thinking, okay, I'm the only one that Tyler's speaking to right now, that is not true. Every single one of us has gone through some sort of brokenness within the family, something that's not the way that, that like, oh, things should be this way, but it's not Everyone has that sort of experience. And there's no pain like family pain. And I think all of us know deep down that families should be better. And it should be happier. It should be more forgiving. It should be more grace-filled. But it doesn't always turn out that way. And in our minds, most of us have an ideal family. It's the one that we wish we had. We look out at a friend and we say, oh man, I wish I had a family like that. And the distance between our ideal family and our real family can cause a lot of pain. And we respond one of two ways. We either count our family out and we say, you know what, I'm done with them. Or we count ourselves out and say, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to disconnect from everyone. And because of that, we like to think that the tension secrets and the the fractures are written in permanent marker when you and your family are written in dry erase marker. That this will always stay, but if I get myself out of the situation, or if I get my family out of the situation, then everything will be fine. Maybe you can count your, your family out here. After your parents divorced, they thought, you, you thought they, they lost authority in your life, so you stopped respecting your family because of the decisions that they made. You decided that your stepmom isn't a good role model, so you're not going to listen to her. You counted that family member out. You decided to shut out one of your siblings because of something they did, and they hurt you, and I'm done with them. I'm not going to deal with them anymore. Whatever the reason, we use our family members' mistakes as a reason to excuse to uh, as a reason or excuse to not listen to them or include them in our lives whatever they did we say you know what you don't have any part in my life anymore because you hurt me we say things like i don't have to listen or be in a relationship with you because of what you did or maybe what you didn't do i had this expectation of you you failed my expectation Or maybe we count ourselves out 
and we cut our own selves out of the equation. Maybe we don't say it out loud, but we give up on our families. We isolate ourselves. We don't like what's going on, so what do we do? We just stay in our rooms when we're home, and we don't actually go out and talk with our family members. We think, I'm done with my dad not showing up. I'm done with my mom just continuously nagging me. My family feels like a bunch of hypocrites, so I'm just done. I'm just going to get out of here, and I'm going to just stay in my own room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count down the days until I'm out of here, and I'm never going to come back because I can't wait until I can just graduate out of high school and I can just move on to college and be away from my family. All of us have probably felt the pull of wanting to pull away from our family before. We get frustrated. How many of us have ever run away from home? Any of Any of you? Some of you guys have like, well, I remember my friend Eric back, like we had this conversation of like, hey, uh, this is probably when I was in like a freshman in high school or something like that. And we were talking about like when you ran away from home and I hadn't run away from home yet uh, at that time. And Eric's like, yeah, I ran away from home and I was like in third grade and I just took off and I was like, I needed food. So I just grabbed a bag of chips and he just like took off. And I was like, yeah, you're going to live off that. Uh, my first time ever running away from home, I was actually a senior in high school, and I was so angry with my mom that I ended up just driving off uh, because I, could, I had a license and a car, and I stayed at my sister's house in, instead, and I just wanted to get myself out of the situation. When we, when we run, if we ever feel like, oh, man, I just want to run away from home, I want to get out of here, what we're trying to do is remove ourselves from the situation. And all of us have probably felt the pull of wanting to pull away from our family. And we pro- probably know it's not the best idea, but what's the alternative? What else are we supposed to do? If my family life is just so fractured and broken, then I'd rather just run over here and do something else. Shouldn't our parents be the ones trying to fix this and not us? Why aren't they trying to fix it? Why aren't they putting the work into this? What if I told you that there's one idea that you may have never considered that could change the way that you see your family forever? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's the good news. God has a long history of working with dysfunctional families. Your dysfunctional family is not the first one that God's ever seen. It's not the last one he's ever seen. But God's been working through dysfunctional families for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. There's a lot of these stories recorded in the Bible, and God has never written off anybody because of the family that they came from. And one of the most famous people in the Bible is a man named Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. How many sons have... Anybody know? Some of you? Okay, cool. So, Father Abraham, he has all these kids... Uh, or, or descendants, I guess not kids, but descendants. And God promised Abraham that his family would form a great nation and eventually a savior named Jesus would come from that family line. Okay, so Abraham is this grandfather and like has, has kids and then they have kids and they have kids and generations and generations down, you get to Jesus. And so that was the promise. But before a great nation was formed, Abraham had to have one kid and he had a son named, son named Isaac. And then Isaac eventually had two sons himself. He had Esau and Jacob. And so the family drama begins here. 
So Jacob and Esau, they couldn't have been any more different from each other. Esau was the oldest brother. He was a hunter. He was a warrior. He was a man of action. Jacob, on the other hand, was kind of a mama's boy. He was an artist. He was a thinker and a poet. He was also a bit of a liar, and he was a con artist. And uh, his, his name, he, he came out grabbing the heel of his older brother because they were, they were twins, but just, just a little bit. And so he was kind of like heel grabber. That was the name. That's what his name meant. And so the stage was set for some good old family tension. And so as the oldest brother, Esau was guaranteed to inherit a birthright, all right? According to the customs of the time, he would receive special privileges that other children wouldn't get. He was very special. He would receive double the amount of money. He would also receive power and authority. And he would become the leader of the entire family tribe when his dad passed away. So he had a lot riding on him. He was going to have a lot of authority. But the biggest deal of all, he would get a blessing from his father, which also meant that he'd be blessed by God. So needless to say, birthrights were a very big deal at that time. So one day, Esau was out hunting, and when he arrived home, he was very hungry. It said he was famished. And it's that moment when you're ready to, like, crush an entire pizza uh, by yourself. Like, any of you guys, like, are so hungry that you're like, I just want a pizza, and I'm just going to slam the whole thing down my stomach, and it's going to feel good. Have you guys been there? Yeah. So he comes home, and he smells Jacob's cooking. Because remember, Jacob's, like, the... the um, He's the artist. He's the, he's the mama's boy. So he's in the kitchen with his mom cooking. And Esau comes and asks his little bro for a bowl of stew. And that's when things kind of go sideways. Okay, so we're going to read Genesis 25, verse 27 through 34. It says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebekah was uh, the mom. She loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, and he was famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Basically saying, hey, all that stuff that you get, give it to me, and then I'll give you some stew. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So this is a classic, just older sibling, younger sibling, just drama. And the Bible describes the rivalry in ancient times, but most have seen modern versions of this played out in some way or another. Yes, family dysfunction has always been a thing. So let's fast forward to when Isaac was dying. Jacob did, in fact, get the birthright blessing that was meant for Esau. So in response, Esau was so bitter and so angry that he decided his only course of action would be to what? I'm going to kill Jacob. That's his only way. Then I can get my birthright back. So when Jacob learned this, he ran away from home with no plans to come back. And this family drama is just completely at the next level. Like how many of you guys, yeah, I know you've probably said to your sibling, like, 
man, I could just kill you right now. Like, you, if, especially if you have close siblings in age, like especially maybe you twins, just like these guys are twins too. Like, oh, I could just kill you right now because you're so angry with them. This situation is actually happening. You weren't ever really thinking of killing them. That's not how it works. But these guys, he was. And so despite all of that, don't miss this. Jesus came from this family, this broken and dysfunctional and messed up situation. Jesus' family line came from this family. God knew their mess and saw how fractured they were, but he didn't run away. He used them anyway. So not only did God use this family, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament actually records the story of Jacob and Esau. And thousands of years later, as a celebration of faith. And so during this, this Hebrews passage, or this Hebrews chapter, it really talks about, it's called the Hall of Faith. And it's telling the stories of the faith of all these men. And so their story is part of the lineage of people and families that God used to show us what his kingdom is like. So we're going to read Hebrews 11, verse 20. It says, By faith, Isaac... By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So Jacob and Esau got blessed. And here's what's amazing. The writer of Hebrews obviously isn't celebrating the dysfunction of this family. They aren't being held up as a model to follow, full of lying, deceit, and threats, and violence, and all that stuff. They aren't mentioned as people who give us a model to copy. He's not saying, hey, you guys should have a, a family that looks exactly like these guys. They are mentioned to draw, us, draw our attention to who God is. A God who can take any dysfunction from any family and bring good out of it. A God who can take any dysfunction from any family and bring good out of it. There's no family story that can't be rewritten. If you have a family that is very broken, that story of your family cannot, it, it, it doesn't mean that it cannot be rewritten. Things can change. There's no family situation that God can't ultimately use for good and incredible purposes. From God's perspective, there's no family that you can't count out and no person in a family that you can count out. God's never done. God will also never count you out from making a mistake. God is never done. He is always working. The story of Jacob and Esau tells us even in our worst family moments, our family story isn't over. Even if we can't see it right now, we can trust that God has a plan. My guess is that if you would have asked Jacob and Esau in the moment if God was doing something good, they both would have said no. They never would have imagined that thousands of years later, God would have turned their family story into, into a story for the ages. And so for some of us in this room, as difficult as it is to believe, it would be a game changer to know that God isn't done with your family. To realize that when things are breaking apart, God is not done with your family. I remember when I, in 2000, 2012, uh, or actually it was like 2011, it, it all came out. My dad had a, another affair. 
he was, again, a pastor again. Like, there, there's, I love my dad. There are some mistakes that he's made. But one thing that happened is that my parents actually got divorced in 2012. So the affair happened in 2011. Uh, March or so, the divorce became final in 2012. Many of us probably have been through some sort of divorce in our family, and we've experienced that. And then what ended up happening is my dad was alone. My mom moved out to Washington. My dad was actually in Michigan at the time, and he was alone. He was gone through some very depressive times. I've even kind of interviewed him to kind of hear what he was going through during that time. And during that time, my parents would still talk here and there. My dad finally was able to sell the house that he was in in Michigan and get everything, and he just moved into an apartment in Washington by himself. He was still very lonely, but he was trying to, I don't know what he was trying to do, and I don't think he really knew what he was trying to do. I think he was just trying to get to a place where he could be healthy again. And so as my, my dad moved back to Washington, my mom was in Washington, they started to talk again. And in a time where I thought, like, okay, this is it. This is so weird. Like, now I have to get used to my parents being divorced. The next summer, next spring, my dad actually, since my parents had still kind of been talking, he actually asked my mom to marry him again. And they got married that summer of 2013. This is his second marriage after being divorced. And here's the deal. No matter what brokenness... God can redeem. God can change. He is not done with a family just because something happened. I'm not telling you that like, okay, your parents are going to get back together just like my parents did. No, that's my story. It could be a completely different situation. But God can redeem any situation, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your family's going through. God can break in and change it. And for some of us in this room, as difficult as it is to believe, it would be a game changer to know that God isn't done with your family. It doesn't mean that things aren't difficult. But knowing that God can redeem even the most dysfunctional of families might help change your perspective. Might kind of give you a little bit more of a positive outlook instead of only thinking negative about your family. You never know what God has in store for you or your parents or your step-parents or your siblings or your entire family. In fact, believing that God can use a fractured family could be one of the greatest acts of faith. To realize that God can still use any of your family, even amongst the brokenness. And it starts by knowing this. Your family matters even when it's fractured. Even when your family has tension, even when there's secrets, even when your family is just completely fractured, your family matters. You can't count them out. You can't count yourself out. Everybody who lives at your house is a fractured person. We are all broken. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And every one of us mess up. And, and when they do mess up, don't write them off and treat them like, oh, that's the end of the story. I'm done with them. I'm counting them completely out. Like it's the end of their story. 
Because God is always working. And even when it doesn't look like it, God is always working. He's always doing something. So whatever you do, don't count out your family members. They're your family. Later on in the story with this last year, um, my, most of you guys know my mom just passed away from cancer a little less than a month ago. And um, the last couple months especially, seeing my dad love my mom, pursue my mom. She was a fraction of who she was. She was just skin and bones. She, her mind wasn't really there. And seeing my dad kiss her still, tell her that he loves her, holds her when we have to, like, take care of her and, like, fix the, the bed because she couldn't hold everything in because it was just so hard. But he just still was there for her. And when she passed, he was holding her hand as she went away because he loved her that much. Yeah, he made mistakes. But there was no one who could care for my mom more than my dad did during that time. So whatever you do, don't count out family members because God could always redeem them. And that could be his plan. So never give up on them. So when your stepdad never shows up, don't write him off forever. That doesn't mean he's just going to be a jerk the rest of your life. When your mom loses her temper, don't write her off forever. When your step-siblings just completely drive you crazy, or maybe your siblings, whoever it is, don't write them off forever. And don't count yourself out either. You don't know what's going to happen next, so don't check out just yet. Remember, God can redeem things, and you can have the worst of situations that moves you to the best of family situations, but if you count yourself out, you will never experience that. So don't check out just yet. When the chaos in your family feels like it's just too much, don't isolate yourself. When the arguing feels constant, don't run away. If you need to step away to keep yourself safe, do it. I'm not saying stay in a dangerous situation or stay in a situation that, that hurts you physically or mentally. There are times that you'll actually need to take a breather or some time away to heal. But here's what I'm getting at. There's a difference between dangerous and annoying. If you're in a dangerous situation, get the help you need. Tell the people that are, that are safe to get help. But if you're just in an annoying situation, we're like, oh, I can't believe they did that. That frustrates me. I'm just so angry with them. If you're in that situation, you cannot check out. And there are also some times that you'll be tempted to ignore or walk away or isolate when you're not in danger. And you're just aggravated or annoyed. And in those moments, challenge yourself to hang in there, to keep talking, to act like people in the room matter to you because you know that they do because they're your family. And if you count yourself out, you may miss out on being part of the incredible story that God is writing in your family. Redeeming and fixing things that are broken is what God does best. You hear that story after story after story in the Bible. Every Bible character that you read in the Bible is broken in some way. But what does God do? 
he heals, he redeems, he changes, he fixes. He takes dysfunction and uses it for good. Because even though a broken family is never God's plan, taking broken things and pulling them out of them is what God specializes in. So take heart and have faith in what God can actually do. So what if we all went home today and treated our family like like our family actually mattered? Even if it was fractured, even if our family is broken, we still walk home and we say, okay, this matters to me. What would change if instead of thinking of ourselves and our families as written in just dry erase marker and you're saying, you know what, I might get out of the situation now for a couple months or something like that until I just kind of forget about it and I can move on. Um, so I'm going to check myself out. Or you know what, I'm just going to stop hanging with them. I'm not going to even talk to them anymore because my family is so frustrating and I'm not going to even deal with them anymore. What if instead of thinking of ourselves and our families as written in dry erase marker, we thought of our families as permanent marker, knowing that, you know what, they're going to be with me and I'm going to be with them no matter what. And I'm going to believe and I'm going to, I'm going to believe that, that I'm going to stick with them no matter how fractured or how broken we are. I'm not going to run away from my family just because there's some things that are frustrating me. What if we started believing that God could work even in our biggest dysfunctions? And I know it seems impossible, but God can give us the strength to do it. And so as we finish up, remember that God hasn't given up on your family, so you don't have to give up on your family either. So let me pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your grace and your goodness. That we may make mistakes, our family may make mistakes, there could be some brokenness that happens. There's some, maybe some small fractures, but maybe some of us here, we have some major fractures. Maybe our parents' marriage is falling apart. Maybe things are just not going the way that we hope them to go. But God, we know that you're not done with any of our stories. That you can continue to do things to, to change, to make things better, to heal, to fix. And so, Father, I just pray that during this time, uh, right now as we go into worship, we can start to just think about what, what, do we, what do we need to do right now? How do I need to go home tonight and see my family? Do I need to confess something to them? Do I need to forgive them? But I just pray that we can, we can start making the right changes in our own attitude towards our family so we don't write ourselves off or we don't write our family members off. That we know that you're going to heal the brokenness and you're going to do something big in our families. So Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.